session three of our course on the meaning behind our prayers, this this background kind of information of how we get to our prayers, how we scaffold our prayers, I stopped and I started thinking about the idea that we don't uh, – one of the main reasons this is so interesting is that our prayers are not in English. Right, Our prayers are in a language that allows us, like we talked about with the Shema, to go into a mantra, to sometimes, even if you know the language, because it's, you know, if you're an Israeli versus the way liturgy is said, they sound like different languages. It's the way you can allow some Shakespeare to to just resonate differently than spoken English, because it's so different that it's practically a different language. And so sometimes that's that's a really important differential for a modern Hebrew speaker versus prayer. But the idea of it being in a language that isn't our spoken language is is core to how prayer resonates with us as a people. And what I find most interesting in that piece is that that's not exclusively the case. There is a prayer or multiple, depending on the way you see it that are intentionally designed to be in spoken language. The problem is they were created such a long time ago that that said spoken language may not even resonate to today to being spoken language that we would be able to comprehend. So what I want us to look at today is the Kaddish. For many of you, does anyone here know what language the Kaddish is written in? Aramaic. And why is it written in Aramaic? So that people can understand it. Because it's the common language at the time for people to understand. Dante writing the Inferno, and it's because it's understandable, it's supposed to be for everybody. Right. Now, who can tell me what the Kaddish is? It's sentiment. No, what it's, is it? It's a prayer to life. It's not a death prayer. Okay, a prayer to life. Spoiler alert for a minute, like 33, but that's okay. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Prayer for life. What else? Affirming faith. Okay. God. Agreed. Who else got something? What is Kaddish? Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's basically praising God exactly at the moment, not wanting to do it. In moments where you might not want to do it. That's an interesting point. Anyone else have something on Kaddish? No, I was going to say the same thing. It's an opportunity for the congregation together to have the opportunity to praise God. So the leader praises God and then ask the, the congregation then adds to it. Yes. And that, in fact, that line that you just said, and we'll, we'll come back to it. The line that is often considered to be the congregational response is actually the nucleus of the original prayer. Because that line literally is to mean, may God's name be blessed forever and ever. So let's do a little bit of deconstructing to get to the core of what we're talking about here. There are at least, at least five forms of Kaddish. Anybody know what we call for, we'll start in the Hebrew. The Kaddish Yatom is the one you most frequently hear, which is the mourner's Kaddish. Anyone else know what any of the names of Kaddish are? So we have the Kaddish Atom, the Chatsi Kaddish, the half Kaddish, the full Kaddish, which is also the full Kaddish, and the Kaddish de Rabbanon, the Rabbi's Kaddish, the Rabbi's Kaddish, and then the Kaddish Atom, and then the, 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 yes, 
the funeral cottage, which is really a very slight variation on mourners cottage. It doesn't yet tell mean orphan. Yes. Because we say mourners. We say mourners today because it's been applied a little bit differently. But correct. So now let's break that down. We have the full cottage, the half cottage, the mourners cottage, the rabbi's cottage, and then you can sprinkle through a different few forms. So what would you assume is the oldest one? Because if we're going to figure out what this core prayer is about, we have to figure out a few things. We know it's in Aramaic, so we have a rough time period. But when was it written? And then we look inside of it. What kind of hints do we find inside of it? But to do that, we have to figure out first, what is the oldest Kaddish? So this is also for our participants on Zoom. If you've got the half and the full and the mourners and the rabbis, what's the first one? I'll give you a hint. It is one of those. I'm not tricking you with a curveball. It's none of those. That is totally something I would do. So I will get that out of the way. It is one of those. Yes. I put my money on the rabbis. It is always good to bet on the rabbis. That is something I truly believe as well. But it is not correct. It is not the Kaddish de Rabbanon. De Rabbanon is not the first Kaddish. started after study. We will get there. Park that thoughts. It did. That Kaddish started after study. And that Kaddish may, in fact, come before some other Kaddish. But what was the first Kaddish? Anyone other guess? If it's not de Rabbanon... And you know that, like, there's no way the answer is going to be the mourner's cottage. That just feels too. So now you've got two left here, the half and the full. The half till you have full. Man, do I wish that we would follow logic in this tradition because the half is, in fact, the first cottage written. Almost as if we created a prayer. And then, and this is very telling to the way our tradition treats ritual and meaning and community life. We went from this first original one. And we kept adding until one day we went, doesn't that other one feel short now? And we called that the Hatsi Kaddish because it has, it is cut short compared to the other Kaddish that we do, but it was the first one. And so what we do know is that this first Kaddish was, uh, we find it in what they call the Palestinian, uh, Talmud, tractate Seferim, composed right around the year 600. There, it comes at the end of a Torah reading and in connection with bless God. So this first Kaddish is the half Kaddish. We actually, sorry, that's that's the second piece of it. We actually don't know exactly when that first one was written, but here's what we do know. It is a very simple form, okay? Their wording is extremely simple in regards to the way that Aramaic is composed, and it lacks any allusion to the destruction of the temple, which tells us what? It's probably written before the destruction of the temple. So when I say it's 600, I'm getting all kinds of confused. That's another form. It's the liturgical Kaddish, which comes a little bit later. But this first Kaddish we see crafted definitely had to have happened before the destruction of the temple because everything that was being created around that time after the temple was destroyed, talked about the destruction of the temple. It was the nuclear event that was changing the form of Judaism. Yes. You're referring to the first temple or the second temple when you say destruction of the temple? Second. Second, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're talking second temple. So, you know, and, and you, there's, there's, there's some stuff in there. So the other interesting piece about this Hatzi Kaddish is that it's parallels closest to another religion's prayer, very popular prayer, called 
the Lord's Prayer. Anyone here ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? I thought so, maybe. The first versions of the Lord's Prayer that we find actually in New Testament, actually the first three verses are almost identical to the first complete sentence in Kaddish. Almost as if this was a prayer that was being crafted to what? In that time, Christianity was not going to borrow a lot from Judaism, right? Because their whole notion was, you do this backwards. You guys are not great at PR. You keep thinking negative. We're going to go positive. Our guy is going to reduce, reduce you from all your sins. Instead of you being so obligated, you get off scotch-free. Like I'm being a little dismissive here, but, but that is a baseline piece of, of the crafting of Christianity was rather than saying kashrut needs to be adjusted. It's kashrut no longer needs to be. Rather than say you must observe Shabbat, this observance side, like the mitzvot, the engagement side, you don't need to do that the same way because you've been released from those obligations. Now you have the freedom to do what? To enjoy the world around you, to appreciate the world you have, to go out, to do good things, to to just appreciate this life that you have. Well, if that's the main focus at the beginning sale of Christianity, what do you think the first Kaddish was probably about? Are you saying assimilation? I'm not saying assimilation, but I think one of the reasons that we get so careful and anxious about a lot of these things is they sometimes feel like they drift away from our tradition, but Kaddish is by no means drifting away from our tradition. It just says what? God is awesome. And what does God is awesome really mean? Let's break this into the way in which each civilization sees the world around them. If you go back thousands of years, we don't necessarily have the same pursuit and acceleration and celebration of science. What do we celebrate? Our rational thinking 2,000 years ago was directly associated with, yeah, creation, a God, a, a relationship with a divine. It was actually, that, that was logic. 2,000 years ago, God is logic. Today, God is faith. They're very different. And so in part, we have to recognize where society was at in that, yes, I'm not saying that faith wasn't there 2,000 years ago, but it was logical that if something happened in your life, you'd pray to God. Otherwise, what are you doing to make sure that the thing stops? 2,000 years ago, they were praying to lots of gods. People around the world were praying to lots of gods, yes. But the Jewish, the the, the Israelite cultic faith or the... Israelite society was was more or less praying to one God. There might be a little bit of discrepancy in there and some argument when it comes to the civil when war I, side of I Israel. That there was some sure. I mean, for instance, one has to ask what caused the civil war inside of the land of Israel, right? We've got, we have a division of kingdoms all of a sudden. We go from having one to the division of kingdoms. We have the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. And then all of a sudden, what happens to the kingdom of Israel? And disappears more or less, right? We we call it the mystery. We don't know where the lost tribes all went. But there's a lot to be said that like they kind of started to think a little bit differently. And maybe they didn't they maybe they stopped all agreeing on like what this God figure was. And they didn't have two thousand more years of theology to say, if you think a little differently about God, that's okay. If God is all powerful, God can consume all those different thoughts. God can be all those different things. They don't have that yet. And so a lot of this comes down to potentially that there was a, a discrepancy in like how people saw if they agreed on this one idea of God, which is at that point, the only core tenet 
to Israelite cultic society that makes it different from its neighboring societies is the monotheism. And if that becomes of, of an issue, then we're definitely going to end up with this tension. So if Kaddish was God is awesome, it's almost like its original crafting was to be appreciative of the world around you. You want to appreciate the sunshine. You say, you're amazing. May your name be great forever. I'm so appreciative of the presence in life that I have in God. That was a, that was that day's way of engaging in the world around them was directly through engaging with a divine. And so the Kaddish becomes in some ways an appreciation for the world around them, or at the very least, just an appreciation for what they have in that moment. And they feel what they have is by praising God and having a relationship with God, what they have is the luck of being alive, the success of whatever their lives feel like in that moment, the whatever it might be. And so this very first form of Kaddish, which confusingly is called Hatsi Kaddish, I'll admit, that was a good setup. But that this idea, this first Kaddish, which is slightly shorter than the rest of them, was probably created, A, to be like lighthearted, right? When you're appreciating the world, there might be depth to standing by the ocean and having an existential moment while you watch the waves, but it's also a really low barrier to entry moment. You can go onto the beach and you can feel and appreciate the beauty of the world around you. And you can go really deep down that rabbit hole where you can just stop and be appreciative. There's, there's no like must do in that moment. And so there's a lot of speculation that that's where Kaddish begins. Yeah. You, you mentioned six, the year of around the year 600. A liturgical prayer as a liturgical prayer. It's around 600 but, that we see it used in liturgy. God. Those were not ecumenical times, to say the very least. Okay. In terms of the relationship between, I mean, Islam didn't exist yet, but the Jewish approach and the Christian approach that was all around it. So the God that's being praised here is their assumption that it's the same God that Christians were praising? At the or, time. Or the particularist thing of saying, no, 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 no. We are praising the God that is the God of Israel. So here's the most fun about studying Kaddish. The depth we're going to go to is almost as far as our tradition and scholars have gotten with it, because there is some vagueness and some ambiguity to it. But if the Kaddish is first formed more or less pre-destruction of the temple, and then it's built into the prayer service around 600, that makes a lot of sense because remember, the rabbis have to transition a cultic faith into a prayer-based faith in order to keep it alive, right? That didn't happen overnight. That happened over generations. So if you have the destruction of the temple around 70, it's going to take a few generations before we've completely transitioned it into prayer services. And the structure of the prayer services like we've talked about with Shacharit and Mincha and Mariv. And so... I'm not sure, though it's a very fair assumption to say, which he, right? These prayers have a lot of of, of pronoun. Which he? Who, who's the he that they're talking about here? And it did probably leave the door open for Christianity to be like, this fits pretty well. Which is why they take it into the Lord's Prayer, right? That this does, it fits pretty well. But I actually think it's more telling of the fact that that's early even in prayer books. 600's early. So for us to see the first liturgical use, which is the Hatsi Kaddish, in prayer books around that time, tells us that it was an important and meaningful piece of the tradition already for a little while. Yeah. Oh, do you know, um, I'm sorry for my ignorance here, but how, how is the Lord's prayer, prayer used in Christianity? Is it, I, I know 
I think at one point my kids had to recite it. They were in a school, but, but how, how is it used specifically? And I actually, I, I talked about this with a colleague and for the life of me, I cannot remember exactly where it's, I mean, let's do this the easy way. It's, it's. One thing's for sure. It's not for morning or is it? uh, You know, I, it's funny when you type it in, you type in Kaddish in the first three searches, you're going to get mourners Kaddish. But when you type in the Lord's Prayer, what you get is these versions. Why are there multiple versions? Where is the full version? How do you recite it? Is the Catholic version different? And but what you don't have is, yeah, it it it's it's more about the context of their faith. That's a really interesting piece. Uh, I will ask if there's a more or less. Let's see when is. I will ask a colleague. But it suggests here, if I'm looking at it, that it's um, it's recited before uh, the Eucharist at most of the traditions, right? Like it's it's this it's it, it's like before a pivotal moment of the service is when they say it. Versus when do you, most of you associate the word Kaddish? The end. The end. So now let's dive back into our versions a little bit. If the first version is the Chatzy Kaddish, and again it's written in what language? Now remember, the original prayers did not prayer, meaning the people praying, not prayers. The original participants of prayer is a much more sophisticated way of saying that. Uh, they did not have prayer books, prayer books, because prayer books, by the nature of created, needed what to exist? Yeah, more or less, we need the print. Like there's some handwritten versions, but more or less, if you need a group of people to be engaging in prayer through a book, you need a printer. So sixteenth century. Correct. Which tells you until then most prayer was done by memory. By memory and orally and by Amen, right? That's how we get to the Amen. Amen is the like high five in our prayers, right? Which is why when you say your own prayer and say Amen, it's like going like that. That's literally all that is, because you're giving yourself the glowing endorsement and you're here here to your own words. And the rabbis, I think we talked about this, have this special relationship to amen that if you say amen, you actually get full credit for the entirety of the prayer that was just said. And the reason for that is they don't want someone feeling inadequate in their prayer when there's no book for them to read from. And even if there was, was everyone literate? And even if they were, most of the prayers aren't in their spoken language. So not only are you dealing with literacy, you're dealing with literacy and a different language and a scarcity of resource with books. So instead, it was all oral. And Kaddish was in their language. Relatively short, pretty light and fluffy. So Kaddish becomes the transition program. If you're going from your morning prayers into your Torah service, Kaddish. If you're going from your Amidah into your Musaf, your secondary repeated service for those who still do Musaf, Kaddish. If you're going from the end of Musaf into your concluding prayers, Kaddish. And so what they became instead was, just in case you zoned out a little, because again, it's it's that still loud. You're just like in a big field full of people, someone yelling from the front stage and everyone else yelling amen from time to time. You might zone out a little bit. So our tradition says, let's throw in one that they know, right? Let's throw in one that's in their language. It's kind of like how the first year I was doing High Holidays, 
we did a version of Micha Mocha to Redemption Song. Okay? Bob Marley's Redemption Song, just in case anyone's like, where are we going here? And when we started Micha Mocha, we got the normal people who were engaged, people who were liking it. When we started singing Redemption Song, because they realized that was in fact the melody, the room lit up. Not because everyone in there didn't love prayer, not because everyone in there wasn't committed to being there for high holidays, but because suddenly something that was nearly as second nature as, and excuse me for anyone who doesn't, ride a bike, second nature as that, suddenly they're like, I can do that. It's like any learned muscle memory. It was in their language. It was a melody they recognized, one that probably associates all kinds of joyful moments in which they sang it in the car or sang it in a this or that or heard on the radio. And it engaged people in a non-prayer way, but in a prayer space, which elevated this non-prayer song into one of prayer. And it's it's powerful. But I didn't make that up. Neither did the people who reset me chamocha to it. The rabbis did. They did that with Kaddish. Okay, the melody part wasn't there, but the rest of it was. Words they would have used to praise the world around them and show appreciation. Hey, how's your day going? My day is great. That's not always true, but they had to have niceties back then. It wasn't like niceties didn't exist, but what was the nicety? Probably, how's your day? Praise be he. Right? We still have that today in some parts of the world. That was probably just the common vernacular way of greeting others. And so they take that and they make that the transition moment between the prayers. So if you zoned out, and suddenly you heard the words you know, you're like, oh, okay, we're done with Shachari. We're moving into the next part, right? Like it kind of gave you a chance to go back into the service. That's the first piece of Kaddish. Any thoughts or questions on that? Because we're going to keep moving on. Yeah. So, you know, I was just, I was um, like probably most people in this room, I, my parents passed. And, you know, this desire to do something, is, you know, it's a real thing. And sometimes if you're, you know, if you're, and it, it actually gives you something easy to do every day. Uh, and it's exactly the sentiment that you're describing that. And I can imagine, and suddenly as you were saying that, I was thinking, huh, you know, I'm thinking of people, you know, 500 years ago uh, who don't know much, but they show up and they're part of the community and, and they want to do something. And here's something they can do. They can do. They're not that brilliant, but, you know, I mean, not to put those down. He's not saying everyone 500 years ago was dumb, but actually I kind of love this because constantly what we have is this longing for a time when we were smarter. Yeah. And I'm, and it always kind of drives me crazy because this is the best time in the history of the world to learn and be alive. And, sure. and we do. Those, this, this well, is sure they were people in the community yeah. who were less learned, but here was something they could do. Yes, very much so. I once heard a, uh, <clears throat> a discussion about prayer with Rabbi Brad Arts and Rabbi, who said for him there were two different modes. One had to do with the meaning of the words, and the other one he it was like an airplane taking off, where it wasn't so much what the words meant, as that the words took him to another place. And I think that, and I have the same reaction. You were talking about Kaddish after a death, or even at other points in the service. Sometimes the the words don't matter. They're almost like a mantra and you surrender to them and you fly with them and they take you some other place. And sometimes it's to another person. Sometimes it's back in history. And while you don't want to say words, you don't mean, and it's pretty good. You should understand the meaning of the words you say. Sometimes that's not what it's about at all. So follow that thread. 
because this is where we now start to see the creation of other Kaddish. If it starts with the Chatzik Kaddish, words that were not, not irrelevant and not lacking meaning, but accessible and relatable and familiar more than anything else. They were familiar words. From there, we start building because if it's this old prayer that then we find in, you know, in Talmud Yerushalmi, and we start to see it codified into prayer services, this is when they start to scaffold it out. So the Chatzik Kaddish, this slightly shorter version of Kaddish, becomes a transition between each kind of prayer service. Then you get the Kaddish Shalem or the Kaddish Titgabel, same thing. The reason they call it Kaddish Titgabel is because of the line, yes. I asked, I asked you this question, I think, a week or so ago about the concept of the telephone game where people tell a little message and it's around 10 different people. Do you think the original Kaddish, the words have changed? In the... So only say park that question because we're definitely going to look at it. But I don't think the original words of Kaddish have changed. I think, well, some might have changed. A lot of additions and variations have been added or or then retracted. But I think a majority of the Hatsi Kaddish is likely close to the original language, maybe a little bit different. And that's kind of the risk we take in having thousands of years of history is that we don't know, right? That that could be true, but but there is some variation and we'll look at it further. So I'm not ignoring the question. We'll, we'll come to it in a little bit, but there is some adjustment. So, but now it's in the prayer service. And now they're like, wait, this this prayer works really well. And again, we're still in an oral form of prayer, like we should use variations of this when needing to transition people between different parts of our service. So they then get into the Kaddish Shalem or Kaddish Titkabel. The reason it's called Titkabel is because the, the paragraph begins with Titkabel Zalotchon, right? But it's the full Kaddish. And the full Kaddish, which asks God to accept all the prayers that were offered, was plugged in at the end of the Musaf piece. So in a traditional Jewish setting in which you set a second whole iteration of prayers. I think this was probably originally because they were like, half the people didn't pay attention. We'll do it twice. And we'll make sure I'm actually being somewhat serious. It's kind of like why we do uh Kol Nidre. How many times we do it three times for literally one reason to make sure you had a chance to say the full thing in case you walked in late, in case you zoned out, in case you had to go to the bathroom, in case of any of that, we say it three times to make sure that you had a chance to have one full iteration. That's the only reason. It's not some type of power of three, say it three times, click your heels, any of that. It's we want to make sure that people do it. So in some ways, it's like, why do we do it all at once? We should be splitting it up over the whole service. That way, like if someone really comes in late, like those people who come for Oneg, I guess there wouldn't be Oneg on Kol Nidre. So that's probably less applicable for those folks. Um, it makes me laugh that every year Bob Scheibel tells me the same joke that he and Linda are sponsoring Oneg on Kol Nidre. Um but, but so, but like maybe we spread it out differently, but that's why we do it. But at the end of Musaf, this added full service, we would say the Kaddish Shalem, which is because if the whole point of that extra set was that God would know that we put in this extra effort and that if, if there was a Messiah that we're saying the prayer is necessary to build towards the Messiah and all of that, they would have this version. So that part becomes Kaddish Shalem. From there, we get Kaddish Yatom which is going to first start inside of the moments of burial and then move on to being this way of the orphans Kaddish, as they will call it, to remember those we've lost. But the Kaddish Yatom was not first done in prayer services. 
the Kadishia Tome becomes a thing, first through a different name, Kaddish de Rabbanon. You see, back in the day, Talmud and Mishnah study and all of that was done in the yeshiva. It was done in the Beit Midrash. It was done in the spaces in which people came from all over to hear the wise rabbi teach. By the way, I'm really glad we don't have that version anymore. That's a lot of pressure. But but they would they would come in and actually what would happen is someone would sponsor that learning in the memory of a loved one who has passed. The original form of celebration or honoring of our loved ones who have passed was to sponsor a learning. So in some traditional communities today, they actually have a system of when you lose a loved one, you sponsor a learning. You sponsor a course of some kind because that's the way of attaching their name to being part of the expanse of learning in this world, which is very much zikronali vraha, right? May their memory be for a blessing. What was the blessing? Learning. I tell every bar and bat mitzvah student, the most Jewish thing they do is their speech, not the prayers, not the Torah reading, not anything else, the speech, because Judaism believes that learning is the celebration of potential and growth in this world. That's that's how we know the world can be a better place because learning can still happen. So the original form of honoring your loved ones who passed away was in a learning. And at the end of the learning, the students would get up and say these words, these words about appreciating the world around them in honor of the great teacher. Kaddish de Rabbanon became a celebration of the teacher, but was done in a moment of honoring a loved one. And so this idea started right then that this was going to be how we ended up using it to celebrate our loved ones, but it all stemmed through the celebration of learning. And so we took that piece. And today, when I talk about Kaddish, I constantly say this, do like when I teach on Saturday mornings and we say Kaddish, I say, if this is your, the first 30 days, if this is the first year, if this is the yearly year site, but I end with, if anything that we learned today has inspired you to remember the lessons that your loved one taught you, say Kaddish, because Kaddish was supposed to be about the idea of honoring memory and celebrating learning all at the same time. And that's how that form of Kaddish happens. Kaddish to Rabbanon was in the Beit Midrash. And then it became so powerful that we took it and brought it into prayer space. Now we've got Kaddish to Rabbanon after study. Kaddish Shalem, after Musaf. Chatzit Kaddish, sprinkled through the service to make sure you're paying attention. And then Kaddish Yatom, which is this applicable version of Kaddish de Rabbanon, now put back into the service. At the end of the entirety of our service, we say a blessing of the, of the mourner's Kaddish. But it all started with these first words about appreciation for the world. Now, I say all this because if you're following along, it tells you that this probably is one of the more well-known, more integral parts of a prayer service, which you already touched upon. In a moment of loss, sometimes we have the words. Just a few weeks back, a week, week and a half now, two weeks, a week. And you had one week tonight, we, we had Shiva last week. Yeah. Right. So o- almost two weeks now. And you have a eulogy and you say those words of eulogy. And after eulogy, you might be out of words. And then we come over and we say the words of Kaddish. And you have two options. You can either talk for hours about mom or you can say Kaddish. 
And Kaddish becomes the gift that our tradition gives us to say, you don't have quite the right words. Here, here are words. We know you'll get to the words. We know they will come back to you. We know that you want to speak and celebrate your loved one. Our tradition says, nice little bow, here are the words. And so Kaddish becomes that way of saying, here are the words, which means it's core and center to our tradition that these are the words of Kaddish. And here's why that's so interesting, beyond the fact that I think it's powerful. This is different than powerful. Interesting, because we're in course mode right now. Is that if you follow along during the expanse of Kaddish, things get added. For instance, in Babylon, we actually find examples that during the formal prayer service, this formula was inserted into the Kaddish. In the life of our prince, our exilar, in the life and in the life of all of house of Israel. Because what language was Kaddish in? What language do people still speak? To an extent, at least? Aramaic. They understood Aramaic. There was, there was hints of Hebrew, no dice, but Aramaic. Okay. So suddenly we realized that different groups struggling to see whether or not they would remain in the land they were in because they were exiled from the land they came from started adding in the kind of language that your common citizen was saying about their leadership. And where did they add it? Into Kaddish. Because Kaddish was the spoken language. Because Kaddish, now more interesting than that, Kaddish was written in Aramaic. Do you know what most of the expansions are written in? I'll give you a hint here. This is a main expansion that we use on a regular basis. We say the words, the imru. What language is that? So some of the additions inside Kaddish are Hebrew because the rabbis are feeling like there's things that need to be put in. But the point of Kaddish was what? To be understandable, to be spoken language, to not be the holy tongue, but to be something more directly associated with the way you commonly thought day to day. In the Cairo Geniza, we have versions and fragments that are found on a regular basis that have all kinds of celebration of great academies in, in Babylonia or in this place or in that place. And one source even has in the life of our prince, the Exilar, and in the life of the head of the academy of the diaspora, that's a mouthful, and in your life and in other life. And in the life of our master, Abitair, the priest, head of the Academy of the Splendor of Jacob, in the life of Solomon, the priest, father of the Academy, in the life of Rabbi Sadok, all these things started getting added in to the last line of Kaddish. Why? Why do you think people started adding in what feels more or less mundane? Or it'd be like saying something about the founding fathers or the power and affirmation of the constitution in the last line of Kaddish. Why do we do that? Why did they do that? Because we don't do that today, but why did they do that? Uh, I was going to say they're customizing it in their own. <laughs> There's certainly customization in Kaddish. That's actually part of the power of Kaddish, but what else? Well, they, in many cases, they were minorities who were dependent upon the local governments. And there was also, wasn't there a principle in Talmud that you have to live by the laws of the local government. Totally. And I agree with that. And we are in some ways beholden to the land that we live in. And in America, this is the first time in our history, in our recent history, where we have not necessarily felt like a fish out of water that's just surviving, but actually felt like an engaging part of the of the <clears throat> society. And mind you, by the way, I've had plenty of conversations with people who 
are very fearful of history repeating itself and are not quite solidified that we are 100% always welcome in this place. And I understand that. It's not the rabbit hole I'm going down, but I do understand it. But at the time of Babylon and Cairo and all these different places, we really did feel like the 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 people that were w- without a home. And we were there for now, but we might not be here forever. We might not be welcomed forever. And so we always said, follow the law of the land, because the last thing we want to do is put ourselves at risk. And we did want to pay our respects to the land and be a part of their discourse. But that's different than adding into our prayer. We don't add into our prayer. So why Kaddish? Now, my first question to you is not even why. How does this feel? I know that we've said a hundred times that Kaddish is more or less our common vernacular prayer, and it's more or less supposed to bring the outside world into our prayer space. But how many of you actually elevate Kaddish quite a bit and feel that it's one of the holier and more profound things that you can say in a prayer service? Right? I mean, just show of hands. There's no, there's no, there's no judgment for it. But like, I think a lot of people associate it very deeply to a very meaningful piece this because of the association we've given it. And yet this is the prayer that they were fine sneaking different stuff into. So the question has to be, why? Why do you think? They, they want the authorities to, to notice, I think, that they're praising them. I mean, yeah. I also have a little bit of speculation. I speculate that it may not have always been exclusively 100% said in Aramaic. I think that's the version we have today, and that's the version that we started with. But these hints, these hints are telling me maybe actually they followed the logic of why it was in Aramaic, and maybe for part of this time, they started to use their common languages too. Maybe they did it in both. Maybe they said it in the Aramaic and said it in their spoken language, but I don't think these lines were added so that the community knew because they would have been added in Aramaic. The authorities, if they didn't speak Aramaic, would be like, okay, great. You can tell me you said whatever you want. I don't speak that language. So there's a little piece of me that thinks actually traditions along the centuries knew better the purpose and value of this prayer and used their spoken language. And then what happens around the 17th century is the creation of Haredim, more or less. Not really in the form we know them today, but the creation of a version of Judaism in which we spooked ourselves. We got nervous of the exact opposite of what you were saying earlier. We got nervous that we were getting dumber. We got nervous that the further away we got from the temple, the further away we got from Talmud Chachamim, right? From the, the brilliant scholars and that we were losing some of the connection and wisdom that connected us back to our, our connection to the divine. And so they started to say, pause, freeze, stop, stop advancing. We're going to freeze everything right now, which is how you end up with people in black hats, right? And, and long suits. Because, uh, did the Israelites wear long suits and black hats at the time of the temple? No, they wore leather flaps and breezy sandals. If we really were going to go back to the origins of our people, we'd be wearing really lovely light interesting everyone would be showing their toes right but instead we get this extreme formality where was that extreme formality from 17th century eastern europe they didn't pick a time that was the most holy they paused they stopped 
And when they stopped, they hearkened as fast as they could back to whatever origins they could. And so we have things like the Kaddish is said the way it's said. But if the Kaddish was meant to be spoken language, what language should we be saying Kaddish in now? English. And yet, even though I generally am saying things like that as a, as a judgment on pausing things in the 17th century, I don't think Kaddish would have the meaning or value that it has for us today if it was in English. I think half of it actually goes back to why we're doing this class altogether. We have to have our prayers in a different language. It's part of what allows us to check out and zoom in. But we also want to know their core and their their meaning and their intention. Yeah. Oh, this may be off the track, but I thought the the reason that you had the Haredim, that whole movement, was because it was a break away from over-legalization and more of an ecstatic culture. I mean, that's where the Hasidim... Hasidim and Haredim. Yeah. Different. Two different things. One is scholarly. Yeah. yeah. Has, it's very confusing because it's all sounds, <laughs> which I'll, 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 I'll note. Haredim. Do we, I think we talked about this in the past. Do we not? I, this is something that comes up somewhat often. I might have talked about it with a different group. Hared means to tremble. Mm-hmm. Haredim are the ones that live in fear of God. Mm-hmm. Their relationship to God. Now, I don't know that every individual Haredim would say this. But the core idea behind this version of observance is that there is something to be feared and revered about God. And therefore, we follow commandments. We do what's told out of fear or trembling or knowing that this God is more powerful. Hasidism is much more the hippie Judaism. Right. Totally different uh, pieces often overlapping because both have some ties into orthopractic nature, orthodoxy, but they're not by any means the same. And the black hat strime, like when you see the guys walking around with a giant fuzzy donut on their head, that's made of like seven foxes. And you're like, how is this more connected to theology? But like, why? Because it was a popular hat in the 17th century. That's literally as far as it goes. I mean, I don't want to downplay it, but the hat was popular. And now the hat is religion. But it was just a fashion statement. But in the, the Hasidism, uh, we think of them as sort of very religious, but they were pretty radical. People yes. did not like, I mean, they yes. were outcasts. Yes. <laughs> but I said all that yeah. because we have to figure out what happened. If that was the case, we, we, we more or less have proof, maybe not exact proof, but like very fair speculation that Kaddish at some point, at least parts of it were said in different languages, in spoken languages. Because otherwise, again, like you don't need to make the prince of Babylon happy by adding a praise to him in Aramaic if he doesn't speak it. You probably said that line in the spoken language. But today, we don't say any of it in the spoken language. Sometimes I do end Kaddish in our spoken language. After we finish all of it, I repeat the last line. Because that last line, to me, actually speaks to the whole point of how we use Kaddish. And what's that last line? Osei shalom bimramav huya ase shalom. What is it? May the God who creates this abundant, beautiful peace in the heavens bring that peace down to Israel and then we add the Yoshvei Tevel down to all the inhabitants of this earth that we end our praise of the world around us by saying, it's a beautiful world. Let's make it a little better. It's a wonderful world. I so appreciate it. 
Can you send some of that heavenly peace down and just make it a little more wonderful? Could you take a little bit of the pain and suffering? I'm not negating my appreciation for this world, God. But do you think you could just make it a little bit more holy? Yeah. The uh, two things. you talking about all these changes brings back to me the idea that changing prayers, as many people are doing today, is not new in Judaism and is not, it's part of the Jewish tradition, has always happened, even with the most observant that prayers have always been changed in some way to uh, relate to what was happening at that time. And so we, in the Reconstructionist movement, in terms of changing some prayers, that's not as radical, it's not unique to Reconstructionism at all. But the question I have... yeah. Is something else. Okay. Which I might ignore that to respond to that part, but let's hear the okay. question. The, uh, the custom is that you can only say Kaddish with a minion. Correct. The Kaddish you cannot say as an individual. Correct. And we have been talking here about the individual feelings when reciting Kaddish, but how did it get to be, can only be done with a minion, can only be done as a community prayer and never as a personal. I mean, I guess you can do it as a personal prayer, but it's better. There used to be a version called Kaddish Yahid. Do you know what Kaddish Yahid was? The individual's Kaddish. Kaddish Yahid was actually a meditation that takes place during the time of Kaddish rather than Kaddish. And it's not recited during modern day. It probably was a response to that question. Kaddish is said in a minion. Why? Because Kaddish for our community became what? The recognition of loss in our life. And once that happened, we needed to make sure that the people who were there to say it were not alone. And if you say, ah, but what about Chatzik Kaddish and Kaddish Shalem? Think about where they come in the service. Right before Baruch Hu, what do you need for Baruch Hu? A minion. So it was just a preparation for the fact that you need a minion. Right after Musaf, before we go into again, prayers that we need a minion for. And, uh, and any other transition, there was a prayer inside of each part that needed a minion. You can't do certain blessings without a minion. And so this idea of it being required from a minion probably stems from twofold. A, the mechanism of prayer. You can't go on to this next part if you don't have 10 people. And B, we know that the space in which we've now used Kaddish for is an emotional space. We want you to year one or year 25. We want you to be around community. But go back to that last thing you said, because it answers your question from earlier about the adjustments. We've read some adjustments, but even further, prayer can change. We know that. We haven't even studied it. We'll probably study it. Spoiler alert, Lachadodi at some point. And for many of you, I've talked about Lachadodi. Lachadodi is love poetry radical love poetry. Quite frankly, a little shockingly, like the, the love language that the writer has for God is, is intimate. It truly, I mean, God is the Shabbos bride. God is this, this soul and companion. And yet it becomes codified prayer. So much so that when it began, it was outcast. And today, everyone, every version of Judaism says L'chadodi. How is L'chadodi? It's like 500. So, Prayer has always had adjustment, maybe 600 now. Prayer has always had adjustments along the way, but they were adjusted with caution and care, with knowledge of our tradition, with insight into different language. So you couldn't just 
change something because you want to. But the recon movement, the reform movement, I mean, the, the conservative movement's new prayer book basically has two versions of every single prayer all the way through it. The version that's been changed for people who want the change, the version that hasn't been changed for people who are like, I don't like change, and everything in between. But changing in our prayers, that goes to something that I said yesterday in a conversion, in a Beit Deen. Our tradition talks about breathing life into the tradition. When you study Torah, you breathe life into Torah. The words aren't changing in the scrolls. Our perspectives are changing. Our opinions are changing. When you add a thought and it sparks three new thoughts around the table, you have breathed new life into our tradition. We say to conversion students when they come in, you are breathing new life into our tradition. You are adding all of your perspectives and your thoughts and your feelings into how you're going to live out your Jewish world. And so we've always had a nimble, uh, you know, malleable relationship with prayer. And even more so, if we didn't have prayer books until they were printed, we probably had a lot more leeway on some of those prayers too. You could probably kind of pontificate a little bit and go a little jazz on it. Like as long as you got back to the right ending, you could probably weave your way through a little bit more creatively. If anything, even though it it benefited us on the scale of Judaism, the prayer book actually created a new dilemma for us in which we started to be less and less flexible. We felt like we couldn't make changes, but Kaddish, and this is why I feel Kaddish is so important. Kaddish shows us that you can, you can expand, you can change it. You can have a second version. You can give it a different reason, a different meaning. The fact that Kaddish Shatom, our mourner's Kaddish, comes on the heels of Kaddish de Rabbanon, the celebration of our learning, because our learning was done in honor of those we've lost. And that that was done based on Kaddish Shalem and Kaddish and Hatsi Kaddish because of the recognition and appreciation of the world around us. What better way to appreciate the world around us than to bring it up right after we've learned something grand, bring it up right after we've thought of our loved ones. It, we kept taking this beautiful thing and applying it into different places in our tradition. So we shouldn't stop. We shouldn't stop doing that. We shouldn't stop being afraid. We should stop being afraid that if we make changes, we're ruining Judaism. We're not. We're breathing new life into our tradition as long as we're doing it with caution and with care and with logic and with forethought and come backing with parts of our tradition that can allow us to do so. That's how everything in Judaism moves forward. And the Kaddish is no exception to that. As long as we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I think that what you were saying, the care, is very important. I've heard rabbis talk about this. What do we do about prayers where we don't agree with the words? And there are arguments, obviously, for changing them. Elena was one example. I think yeah. one. And then there are arguments for saying the same words and thinking them differently. There are prayer books that for problematic prayers or psalms change or delete part of the translation so that you don't quite know what you're saying. Uh, no, it's, it's true. There's, I, I have a Rosh Hashanah prayer book from the conservative movement from when I was a kid from, uh, this would be the 1950s. And in a lot of the Psalms, the Hebrew of the whole Psalm is there, but the English, it says selection from Psalm whatever. And they've left out a translation of the stuff that might be disturbing. Mm-hmm. Like in Psalm 149, we're going to uh, take all their kings and wrap them in chains and, 
nice things like that. In the 10th and 12th centuries, groups of rabbis attempted to remove Kol Nidre <laughs> because they felt it was really problematic in trying to get along with the world around them. If anyone found out that the Jews were saying a prayer that nullified any promises or vows that they made for the upcoming year, it would have been really problematic in learning to trust us and doing business with us and anything else. If anyone translated the prayer that we said, how many times again? Three times on the holiest night of the year, we repeat three times. Everything I promise for this next year is made up. Everything I promise for this next year is made up. The rabbis are like, this is problematic. And we're worried that we're not going to have good relationships with the, with the people around us. We need to take it out. And the people revolted, refused, said, you cannot take Kol Nidre because of the feeling that they have, the association, the connection to these words. You cannot take it. So the rabbis tried and the people said, no. Even today, if you look at the KI High Holiday, High Holidays prayer book for Kol Nidre, we pretty much use the same Hebrew, but the English is like completely different. Not completely different, but it's an interpretation. Yeah. It's a reinterpretation. But part of the argument, I mean, for me, for some of the traditional language, it was originally created by people for whom it had a great deal of meaning. And so for me, there's always a choice between, oh, that doesn't mean anything, you know, A, to throw it out, but the other piece is to try and figure out what was it they were trying to say. These were not stupid people. These are not. David thinks maybe a little bit, but except for my uh, ancestors. Yeah. Yeah. I just. <laughs> I think. I think. I think you're not incorrect, and I, and I will keep an eye on the time, so I'll wrap this up. And I apologize to anyone listening on the podcast. This was a wild ride. I'm not even sure where it went, but this is the way uh, this rabbi teaches. Um, I, I will say it's when I work with wedding couples on ketubas. I say, look, very simple rule. If English and Hebrew are the same length on your ketubah, they are hiding something <laughs> because Hebrew is a truncated language. So if there's this much Hebrew and this much English, someone is being purchased in Hebrew and they're not telling you in English. And they always go, what? And I go, I'm telling you. And then I say, look for these two words. And I give them the words for gold and zuzim. I say, right? And I say, zuzim. <laughs> and cast staff, and I get in the buzzwords and they go, Hey, it's in. I go, yeah, you're being bought. And it doesn't say it in the English. Why? Because people don't like that language anymore, but they also don't want to get rid of the original ketubah. And so they, they, there's this like limitation and frustration in there. And, and sometimes behind things in the Hebrew differently in the English. Yeah. No, I just had one, one final thought about the, if we can, can we talk about, go back to the cottage? You know, that was the point of the podcast. So yes, we can definitely go back to the thing I said I was teaching about. I think, I think sometimes, um, in, in Judaism, but in most religions, you have this sense of, uh, and even in the Jewish prayer that God is, is just good, basically. And anything bad that happens to you has absolutely nothing to do with God. Like it's pawned off, you know, on, on, uh, you know, either the absence of God or, and in a way, for me, at least through, you know, having experienced Kaddish my whole life, it's kind of an acknowledgement by, I mean, I mean, death is an awesome event, is awesome as birth, really. Um, and it's, and you're sort of forced to make that, um, association with the divine, with something that's dark, which we don't like to do. We like to think of God as, is just gonna, 
do great things for us. And we don't like to think about, you could say that sort of shadow aspect of yeah. God. And for me, Kaddish is, it's been a little scary because it's at least from this is how I experienced it. I like, cause I knew what I was saying and it's like, Oh my goodness, I'm actually acknowledging that there's a very dark side to God, like God too. And I don't, you know, I mean, I, I think that's always been sort of powerful, uh, uh, my, I'm speaking of my sort of personal experience yeah. of Kaddish that it sort of forces me to acknowledge that this is that that it's this is a lot bigger than I thought. This is not just a deity who's kind of taking care of me, He's, or it, or whatever you want yeah. to say is God is is a much you know more like a something very mysterious and and uh, you know almost Job like you know in, in in its effects. Yeah, Kaddish evokes a lot of different emotion and i think that's part of its power i just love that it comes on the 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 like baseline that the foundation of it is relatability and reconnecting and quite frankly sometimes it's it's basically the words really say like now get out of this room and go breathe fresh air right like we say at the end of the service in part where we're, it's hopefully reminding us too, like go go appreciate the world around us yeah go take a walk go watch like a sunset it? Poetry. Do you say, I mean, I, it's hard for me to judge it, but maybe you can better as a rabbi. Like, how would you would you say it's sort of up there with the best prayers, or kind of more like a common? Since it's in Aramaic, is it is it good? I guess I'm asking you to rate it as poetry. Is Jewish prayer is it a good one? Or I would answer one? without giving you an answer. I would answer that the fact that the rabbis have duplicated it. And and created all these different versions of Kaddish tells you that they understood its potency and effectiveness and it, and the beauty and and of the words because they 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 kept diversifying it and saying it could be used for this it could be used for this it could be used for this. Uh, I am aware of the time. It is eight ten. Thank you for you guys all joining and, and learning. I promise next month I will not stay on topic anymore, but be more concise. Uh, and I will see you all for our next session.